Well, you could turn to 1 John chapter 4. While you're doing that, a couple things. Kiddos, we're glad you're here. It's Family Sunday. You guys are, are not just welcome here, but we want you to listen to the Word of God. It's, it's good for you as well. And parents, if, um, if you would like them to have one and they didn't get one, there's some uh, sheets for them to sort of write some notes and uh, help maybe keep them uh, a little bit focused and content uh, during the service. There's some right outside the lobby on the left there if you need help. Get one, uh, Cindy or Anthony, be glad to do that. <clears throat> and then, oh, there's one more thing I was going to say, but I don't know. <clears throat> All right, First John chapter 4, we'll get to that in just a moment. We are... Uh, on the last week of what we call our Vision and Mission series, where each year we, we take some time. Oh, that's what I was going to say. If you would like, you, you are welcome to uh, remove your mask during the sermon portion. You, you certainly don't have to. No judgment if you don't want to. That's totally fine. That's what I was going to tell you all. Um, Cindy's saying as of last week. But again, you're welcome to do whatever you're comfortable with. But um, So this is the final week in our Vision and Mission series. Next week, we're going to jump into the book of Daniel. And each year, we, we take time to walk through what you see there on the banners. Love God, connect people, transform the world. That's just our way here at the journey of trying to put some, some handles and some um, words around really what God has called all churches. If, if they're really Jesus's church, then we've got our marching orders. We know our mission. And it is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Like it is to go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Like that's what we're called to do. Uh, it's to go make disciples, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus had taught uh, the disciples. That's our role as a church. And so um, that, that we believe that uh, sort of a way to kind of bring that into context and in modern language for, for all of us to understand is we want to, we're called to love God first and foremost, that all people need a redeeming, forgiving, and transforming relationship with Jesus himself. That what is missing in our life is, is not any other sort of self-fulfillment or any other issue. It is indeed a relationship with God, and Jesus came to make that possible by dying on the cross for us. We'll look at that in just a moment. So we're called to love God with all that we have, and, and that transforms everything. And that indeed does send us out on mission, that being a part of a church or being a part of the family of God, <clears throat> by its very nature, means that we have a purpose, we have a mission to fulfill, and that is with one another. So the last couple of weeks, we've looked at transform the world uh, in part one and part two. And, and normally we would do love God, connect people, transform the world. And we had to switch it because I was out with uh, Corona for uh, a couple weeks. And so we, we wanted to keep sanctity of life on that third Sunday. And so anyway, but I think it's been good. We're actually, so we did love God and transform the world part one and two. And now we're going to finish up with connect people. And I think it's good to mix that up because sometimes even in our language, we can sort of look at that as this progressive thing. Like, okay, we're all supposed to love God. We're all supposed to be forgiven of our sin and have a relationship with him. But then if you're really zealous, then you'll, you'll show up and start connecting with people. So it's sort of like the Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Wednesday night thing. I don't know if, you used, if you've been to a church as you grew up that, that did those services. You know what I mean? Like the general, like, you know, most of the community feels like, okay, I know I should go to church on Sunday morning. But the, you know, the, the you know, real varsity level people, they're going to show up on Sunday night too. And then if you're really overachieving, you'll come on Wednesday night. And so I think we can kind of put it that way. Like, hey, we're all supposed to love God. We're all supposed to have this forgiving relationship with him. And, you know, and then those that are a little extra zealous, we'll come to community. We'll, we'll do that, that piece of, of coming to a group, whatever that looks like. And you may have different images based off your background. Maybe it's Sunday school or accountability groups or whatever. 
but that sort of being in relationship with, with people, being in a class, if you will, we call them community groups here, and there's, there's nothing right or wrong. It just sort of changes with, with uh, culture, but the big idea is that you're connected. <clears throat> and then, but then we sort of look at it, it's like, okay, that's what we should all do, and we, we all need to get into community, but then there's a few people that are really ambitious, and they're going to get involved in that whole missional work, right? They're going to be the, the ones sharing the gospel and going on mission trips and things like that. And we could sort of, I, I, probably not consciously, right? Like, you'd probably never say that that's just, but I think sort of subconsciously, that's what we think about. It's like, okay, well, I know I need to come to church. I know I need to love God, and yeah, I should probably get in community, and then Man, maybe someday, you know, I'll get involved in that whole mission work. But it's actually not like that. It's not this whole deal of, you know, it, it ain't, it's not like that. It's actually being a part of the family of God, right? When you are born again as one of Jesus' people, you automatically are brought into a family. You're automatically brought into a community. And that community has a mission. That community isn't God's community without God's mission. And so it's all interconnected, and we indeed have a mission to go, therefore, and make disciples and to preach the gospel and to bring transformation because that's the, we know that that's the only way we're actually going to see transformation in the world is from the inside out, that we're not going to be able to legislate morality. We're not going to be able to get a, you know, a candidate that'll make it all right. Like, we know that the only way we'll see actual transformation in the world is through the gospel. And so we, we are to be about that, but we can't do that on our own. And so we're going to talk about that community piece. We're going to talk about being connected to one another, being in community. And, and the big idea is I hope you leave here knowing that that is not an elective thing for those that follow Jesus. It's, in fact, essential. It's not an elective for those that are super ambitious. It's essential to being a follower of Jesus and a part of his family. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read 7 through 12. So 1 John 4 verses 7 through 12 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, though, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. God, would you help us to just grasp to some greater degree than we do right now the, the beauty that is in this passage, the beauty that is in the gospel, that you showed us love by sending Jesus, that, that you are offering us your presence and, and you're doing it through your church and through community and through your word. Would you, Lord, come and and bring your word to life, not merely through my words. Lord, would you use me to that end, but may your spirit come and speak uh, these, this, this word, Lord, beyond just our ears and into our hearts so that we may be transformed, may, so that we may be set free, so that we may be brought into healing. And Father, for those that don't know you, that they would know salvation for the first time today. Would you do that sort of work as we approach your word? We confess that it, it is indeed from you, and we sit under it in submission. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, John starts out here, or well, 
he's been going. Actually, this book is, I would encourage you, it's a pretty short read. I would encourage you to read it uh, perhaps later today because uh, this is not, this is not a new theme. He's sort of uh, coming back around and, and adding layers to this idea of loving God. And if we love God, we'll obey him. And then if we love God, we'll love one another. And, and so there's a lot going on. But he starts out where we picked up here in verse 7 saying, Beloved, let us love one another. Now that's a, we're, we're, we're used to hearing that. You're not shocked to come to church and, and hear that we should love one another, right? It's a very churchy thing to to hear. And and we know that it's, it's even a, a theme throughout the New Testament, right? Jesus was asked, hey, what's the most important command? Well, you should love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and the second is like it. Jesus says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus even says, we, we sing about it a while ago, about him washing our feet. When he washed the disciples' feet, th- that whole John 13 right there, he's talking about love is the, is the new command. He even says, hey, this is what you should focus on. Not this list of rules, but hey, love one another. And so this is a theme throughout the scripture. And we even know that later on in that John 13, that he says, and this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. How is it that you would, what? Love one another, right? There's plenty of people trying to define what it means to be you know, a child, they're going to try to tell you if you are, are one of God's people, then you need to do this or act this way or, uh, you know, affiliate with this group or, or whatever. But that is, is what Jesus says. Hey, the world will know you. Are you loving one another? So, so again, you've probably even heard that before, but what in the world does that mean? What does it look like? And how on earth do we do it? Right? How do we move? Because, you know, all right. You look around here, you know, maybe you know some of these people, maybe you don't, and maybe you're super connected, and maybe you're your first time here, but when you think about, like, okay, we're supposed to love each other, that can, especially for dudes, you can be like, I don't, I don't know, man, like, I ain't singing kumbaya and holding hands and, you know, that whole deal, and, 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 and that could sort of, you know, stir up some, some, maybe you've had a bad experience with some, some cheesy, you know, attempt at, at, you know, making God's people sort of express that love for one another, but, but it is so much more, like, just hang with me, let's look at the Bible here, and let's let this speak to us, because it is so much more profound, and so much deeper of what God is inviting us to, and really commanding us to do, is to live out our identity as a people who are a communal people because we were made in the image of a communal God. But I, I want to start with a quote from Francis Schaeffer. <clears throat> um, and and this, is, uh, this is from a book. I, I think it's called the, the uh, you got that for me, Jack? It's called The Church Before the Watching World. And he says this, he says, One cannot explain the explosive dynamite, the dunamis, of the early church apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously. And if you know what he's talking about, you read the book of Acts, they, they, on, on Pentecost it blows up from just a few, like a hundred or less, uh, or a hundred or so, uh, into 3,000 in one day, and then it just continues to get added to day after day. That is incredible growth, and it, it continues throughout the, the New Testament toward, you know, in just a few hundred years, the entire Roman Empire, like it, it is advancing like wildfire. And so he's, he's speaking about that, and he says, you can't explain that, apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously, not one or the other, but simultaneously, and they were this, orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of community. In the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see. By the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine, 
So we have to be a people who are uh, people of truth. We don't compromise. We don't let the world tell us what is love and what we say. And what, like we have to hold fast to this and stand firm in it. And that, and that needs to remain true. And we're going to talk a lot about that in Daniel as I think that's going to get increasingly difficult in, in our uh, near future. However, it is important. But at the same time, we must have the purity of doctrine and the reality of its community. Our churches have so often been only preaching points with very little emphasis on community, but the exhibition of the love of God in practice is beautiful and must be there. What's he saying? He said, listen, we should be an attractive, even a compelling community. As the world looks in on us, and I don't know if you noticed, the world is beyond divided, like the world is eating its own. I don't know if you're following the news, and if you're not, you're probably in a better place than the rest of us, but, but it's, it's chaos out there, and, and there is not community, there's not cohesion, there's not unity. In fact, there's, there's movements and revolutions that have gone so far that they're now pulling the rug out from the ones that they would say they're on, and again, I'm, I'm getting into things that you may not even know what I'm talking about, and that's okay, but it's crazy out there, and our world is longing for this sort of community, this sort of community that he just described, and frankly, what we have the opportunity to live out. The world is thirsty for it, and it is indeed the, the inheritance, the, um, the gift that God has given to his people as a part of the church. And so when John says, hey, let us love one another, this is, this is hugely, hugely essential to our Christianity, to our following of the Lord. This is not an elective that we add on. This is hugely intentional. He goes on to say, whoever loves God has been, or whoever loves rather, he says love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So what's he saying there? He says, listen, if, if somebody is loving other people, that, that that's actually coming from God and they know God. He goes on in verse eight to say anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, a couple things. We need to, we need to make sure that we are clear that, that what he's saying there is not that that. God is love in that there is no transcendent being that, that lives and exists as God, but God is rather just this force of love, right? You may have heard something like that in some worldview where it's like, well, you know, what is God? Well, God is just love, and we just all need to love. No, that's not what is being said here. It's not that, that we look to, uh, in that way to define what is was God, you know, we say what is love. Rather, but when we look to define what is love, we look at God. Okay, so it's not that we, we look and say, okay, well, what, what is God? And well, it's just, it's just love. And we all need to have these good feelings if we love one another. Then they, no, what he's saying is when you try to define, hey, what is love? You need to look at God. And he says, and this is similar to the passage we looked at a couple weeks ago and even that we read this morning during worship, that, that someone who claims to know God but doesn't love other people, that doesn't have the sense of, of being known and is in community and is loving a brother or sister like that is in need to... to to live that way is to, in fact, tell the world that you're not one of God's people. It's, it's to prove that, hey, you don't know God because you're not exhibiting God's love. And so it's his, this is moving us toward this is indeed not an elective thing, but this is an essential thing because love is, is the very nature of what we experience in God. And even beyond that, it is the very nature of the God himself that we are made in the image of. And so I attached on your digital bulletin, I attached a, a resource that I would encourage you to dig a little bit deeper on. And, and it's from um, our recent apologetics class led by Caleb Ingram. 
And, and it's looking a little bit deeper into this idea that God is himself exists in a community. God exists from eternity past as one God with three persons, right? So there's, there's and we know, we, we've probably heard something about the Trinity, or maybe a lot of teaching about the Trinity, and it is, it is a super hard doctrine to explain and wrap our minds around, and nonetheless, it's so important because it, it's, it, it really helps define, understanding, you know, that we're made in God's image requires that we understand to some degree what that image is and, and who our God is. And so understanding that God is, is a God that exists as one God, with three persons living in eternal community, serving one another, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, not competing, not, not trying to, to gain superiority, but rather in, in, in full selflessness bringing glory to and exaltation of the other in this way that is this beautiful, beautiful presence that God is love from eternity past, right? We see this if you read Genesis 1 and 2 and you see where he makes us as his image bearers, meaning we're the ones that, you know, he tells us not to make any graven images, you know, of him, not to try to, you know, wonder what God looks like because he's already done that and that's us. He made us to be his image bearers, to be the ones that, that look like God so that the world could look at us and see what God is supposed to be, and, and that's, so he makes us, but, but even in that language, you hear the, this plurality of language, the let us make man in our image, and so there is, right there, in the very beginning, there is this plurality in the Godhead, and you see it played out throughout the rest of Scripture, and so to know that helps give some, some definition to who we are as image bearers of God, meaning we are communal creatures, now, I want you to move beyond whether you think you're social or antisocial or extroverted or introverted, right, and how much you like to be around people or don't like to be around people. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm saying is, by our very nature, we are made to be in community. We are made to be known. We are made to have relationships. Why? Because we're made in the image of a God who exists in relationship. And so, we will not experience wholeness. We will not experience salvation and peace and rest in our soul until we are known, first of all, by God, and then even further, by others, by his people. C.S. Lewis writes a good bit on this, particularly in mere Christianity, and, um, but I'm just going to read a particular excerpt as he's talking about what, what he describes as, as the dance and how God exists from eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, um, God the Spirit, exalting one another, uh, giving glory to one another. And, and he talks about how we have to be, if we're going to experience life and forgiveness and wholeness, that we must be not just knowledgeable of that, but indeed experiential of that. I'm just going to read it. He says this. He says, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. You want to be warm? You must stand near a fire. If you want to be wet, you got to get in the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, then you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are a great fountain of energy, spurting up out of the very center of reality, and if you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, then you will remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? And once separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? 
And so again, we, we, some of you, you have really negative ideas about what it means to be known or be in relationship or be in community or even to have friends, frankly, that you're super guarded, that you, never, that you haven't gone beyond a surface level relationship, maybe since you were kids, maybe in years, maybe you've been hurt, uh, maybe you've written off church, maybe it, you know, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with church, that you are a closed off person. Maybe you're just a, a, a man and you were told that dudes don't talk about their feelings and you know, like they're just going to keep, you know, you're the guy that anytime somebody starts to get deep, you make a joke. Right, so that so that we don't have to go there, right? So that we don't have to actually talk about that. Like Jason said in the video, are we actually? Are you actually answer, asking me that question? And you, you're gonna oh, you're gonna sit there until I answer. Oh, that's super uncomfortable. Some of you have been in a community like that, but but here's what I also know: if you've stepped in, if you've moved, if you've moved past the uncomfortableness, then you know you left with life on the other side. You know you left. And it, you were better for having been known, and you experienced what C.S. Lewis was talking about there by being a part of that community, by being known in that way. And so here's, how do we, how do we get there? Because again, it, it's one thing to just talk about it, but then to take a group of people who are dealing with all sorts of different things and all different life stages and all different wounds and, and, and junk, right, that they're bringing to the table. How, how do we move there? How do we actually become that people? Well, here's the good news. We... we Mostly, we start by just receiving what has been done for us, that, that we are a people of community because we, and, and, and that people of community are able to move toward one another and experience that because we were moved toward by a loving God. So let's, let's read in verse 9 uh, through 11, when, when John shifts to go on to say, hey, and this is the love of God. So he's talking about how we've we got to be that love. If we, if we are not a part of that, then we don't know God. And he goes on to say, and this is the love of God. It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen, here's... Here's, here's what you have to know. If you're here and you're checking out Christianity and you're thinking, man, I know I need to get my life right and I, I know I should obey God and I should have a relationship with him and, and you know, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get myself cleaned up and then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get there, then I'll, I'll surrender to him or, or whatever. This is what, he, what he's saying. Is it's not how the love of God works. It's not that we loved God and so therefore he accepted us. It's rather that we were in a state of rebellion. We were far from him. We did not desire him and yet he moved toward us. He moved toward us. That's what he says, that, that he sent his son to be the propitiation. And we'll get to that in just a moment, but I want you to think about that. I want you to think about right now what keeps you from being known. Like what keeps you from experiencing community? And, and maybe that's why you've never joined a group, right? If that's you, maybe that's, that's the deal. What, what keeps you from doing that? Or maybe you're in a group, but you've just stayed at the surface, And I know you've thought about being honest. Right? You've, you've considered opening up. What keeps you from doing that? I want you to actually think about it. It's not a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it, but I want you to think about it. What is that for you? What are you, what are you, what are you hiding? What are you afraid of sharing? For some, it's, it's extreme guilt and shame. For some, there's, there's things that are in your past that, that you've never told anyone. And you'd be horrified if someone found out. 
For others of you, it's, it's just fear. For some, it's just comfort. You just don't want to. But here's the gospel. We were all far from God. We were all dead in our trespasses and sin. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You need to know that, that that's the gospel. We, we, like, even the enemy wants to convince us that, that we were worth pursuing, that we had some, that, like, that, that God owes us something, right? That, that, yeah, you know, I'm so glad that Jesus came, like, you know, I was really worth saving, but the, rea- the reality from the scripture is that no, you weren't. Like, you had nothing to offer God. <clears throat> you understand that? Apart from Christ, like, you, like, he doesn't need you. You don't add anything to his like portfolio. Like there's nothing that you can offer to Jesus that is worth him. But and nonetheless, in fact, it's not that you just don't offer him anything. You were in rebellion to him. You have given him the finger. You have spat in his face. You have ran far away. And yet he moves toward. You have sat there with your walls up. You have resisted invitation after invitation to come to him. And yet, he moves toward. You have hidden your sin. You have stayed in your sin. You have loved your sin. And yet, he moves toward. This is the gospel. He moves toward us. And he knows there's a barrier there. He knows there's a wall. He knows there's a reason you feel empty inside. He knows there's a reason you feel guilt and shame and you can't get rid of it. He knows there's a reason that you feel like this life is just not enough, that it's just not happening. He knows all of that. And you know what? He moves toward, he moves toward, and he becomes our propitiation. Everybody say propitiation. It's a fun word. Go ahead. What does it mean? Well, it's a a very profound word. and yet beautiful, beautiful theological truth that means that we had wrath, rather God had wrath against us because of our sin, because of all that I just talked about, against you, actually you personally, you are a sinner in rebellion to God, and that requires punishment. It requires a satisfaction of God's wrath, and what it says is that Jesus came that the whole idea of John 3, 16, that he, gave, he so loved his, the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus became our propitiation. And what does that mean? <clears throat> it means that, that it is a, it's a sacrifice. Go back that, that for me, Jack. It's a sacrifice that absorbs, <clears throat> that bears and fully satisfies or absorbs God's wrath and turns it to favor. Listen, That's how you have been treated. That is grace, that is mercy, and that is love on full display. That you were far from God and you had spat in his face. You had wanted nothing to do with him. You had all your barriers up. You had all your wounds out there. And yet he moved toward. As you pulled away, as you winced, whatever that looked like for you, he moved toward. And and, and he went so far, as far as anybody could go, to show his love for you that he gave his own Life that he absorbed the wrath of God for your sin that you deserved. He fully satisfied your debt, your payment, all that, that you owed God. He fully satisfied it and he turned it into favor. This is beautiful and good news. This is how we have been treated. This is how we become a people of God. And, <clears throat> and that's how we get brought in to that Trinitarian community that, that gives us life. That's how we were brought in to a relationship with God. 
now because we are loved that way, because we have been treated that way, and we now become a people who love and treat others in that way. And that's exactly what John says. <clears throat> Verse 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, then we, if so loved us, we need to get that. We don't need to move past that. We need to think about that so. Think about the display of God's love, him moving toward us when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't want it. He's moving toward pursuing us. If that's how he has loved us, then he says we also ought to love one another. <clears throat> And we also ought to love one another. So this idea of community, this idea of loving one another is, is rooted in our gospel identity as Christ followers. That, that we don't start with the commands and say, okay, we've got to start loving each other so that we can become the children of God. But rather because he has moved toward us and because he has loved us and he has made a way, we are the people of God. And as that identity, uh, as we embrace and live out that identity of being the people of God, we love each other. We love one another. And this becomes a radical and compelling witness to the, to the watching world. <clears throat> and this cuts through the social tensions that keep us divided, that keep us separated. Because I get it. It's, bottom line, it's weird. Like, I've been where you are. If you're, if you're here and you're not connected, you're not in community, I've been where you are. New church, Maybe you've been here for a while, you've never taken that step, you see the names out on the board, you see people, you know people go to a group, but you're just like, I don't know, man, how do I, how do I kind of step into that? I get it, it's weird. Or maybe you've been harmed, maybe you're, you're, you're not trying, maybe you're, maybe, or maybe you're waiting on somebody to approach you. Maybe you've decided that the church, nobody cares about you because nobody seems to talk to you or nobody seems to come up to you, which church, by the way, we should make sure that never happens, but that's sort of a sermon for another day. But, but I know the tensions that you're feeling. I know the tensions that are experienced here in this moment that, that keep you from even starting into community, but even after you get there, right, that keep it at the surface, I, I get it. It's, it's real. <clears throat> People have, have, have come to our church because, and, and said that they left their last church because it was clicky and they couldn't connect. But if I'm being honest, people have left our church because they've said it was clicky and they couldn't connect. So how do, we, how do we try to make sure that doesn't happen? How do we move into genuine community? <clears throat> well, quite simply, I think, if you think about Jesus, what he says is the second greatest command is that you love your neighbor. How? As yourself. What does that mean? Listen, regardless of how anybody in this room or anybody at another church has treated you, Jesus move toward you. Jesus came for you. Not just in word. Not just with a vote like, yeah, no, he came for you. You understand that, right? That the king of the doggone universe stepped off of his throne and came looking for you, right? Nobody here said hi. Jesus is looking right at your soul saying, hey, I love you. I love you. Come to me, right? People have wounded you in the past. Jesus says, hey, they wounded me too. They wounded me too. They hated me. They hate you. They, they hated me. Come, I'll heal you. Come to me. I am the good shepherd. I am the one that has life. So listen, regardless of how this church or somebody else has treated you, you have been loved well. You have been loved lavishly, extravagantly by the king of the universe. You embrace that. You live that out. And you know what? All of us just decide that we're going to become the people that we wish we had. Okay? We all just resolve that, hey, 
I'm going to be the people. I'm going to be the person that I wish I had. Because I get it. You wish you had a mentor. You wish you had somebody that cared. You wish you had somebody that called. You wish you had somebody that didn't just hear that you were struggling and then move on with their life, but they actually drew near and sat with you, checked in with you, followed up with you. You wish you had somebody that you were comfortable enough just go into their house to hang out when you're lonely. You wish that you had somebody that you knew, knew your junk and still would accept you, that you could just go to them, that you didn't have to pretend. You wish you had that, don't you? You long for that. Here's the deal. Satan is going to get in there and tell you a thousand reasons why they aren't being that for you. And I, I, numerous times, I've heard people that, that thought there was a tension between one another, thought somebody was actually arrogant, and when they finally got in the same room and had a conversation, they realized they were both intimidated by each other. So the story that you're being told by your inner self Right by your own self worth, because sometimes if you don't like, if you don't think you're lovable, you're going to assume that everybody else agrees and that their actions are affirming that. Right, and so sometimes that, that's what's going on. In these tensions, you you just assume, well, they've got you know, they've got plans, or they're already going to lunch with somebody, or they're already in a group. They don't want me there, right? Or they didn't ask me. When in reality, they're intimidated. They, <clears throat> they're intimidated by you. They didn't ask you because they're scared of you. And there's all sorts of other social dynamics that go on with that. You fill in the blank of your own experience. Here's what we, here's what we as the people of God, we have been loved well by our Savior Jesus, and so we're going to love each other like Jesus loved us. We're going to move toward. Wherever you are, you're gonna move, we're going to move toward. Why? Because we have been pursued and we've been moved toward by our Jesus, and so now we're going to move toward one another. You're not in a group today. Then you need to take a step toward getting in a group. You are in a group, but you're at a surface level. You need to start thinking about, okay, how am I, I going to share a little bit more? How am I going to go deeper? How, how am I going to let them in? We, a few, few months ago, we just had the dudes in my group just in my garage, and it was just like, hey, what are you all struggling with? And the Lord just moved in a way where it was like, we just, it wasn't me, and it's anything fancy. I just told him, I, you know, I'm struggling too. And, man, the Lord was kind in those moments to, to bring us together and so how do we cultivate genuine community? We take personal responsibility to be the person that we wish we had. Okay? When we all do that, man, this will become a transformative community. This will become a compelling community that Francis Schaeffer was talking about. We're not just a people who know truth and listen and have good theology, but we love one another well. The world is going to look at that and be compelled by that. And, and, and we have to make space for them to come into that. We have to make space for them to enter into that as well. But, and and here, here's the offer. We are a people of God who are called into that. But the, the offer, here's the good news, church. If, if you've zoned out, come back with me for just a moment. The offer is that God's presence awaits you there. The, the invitation to community is that God's presence awaits you there. Look at verse 12. He says, no one's ever seen God fully. No one's laid eyes on the fullness of God. But this is crazy. He says this, but if we love one another, then God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Church, this is crazy. This is such good news. He says, hey, I, I get it. Nobody's ever seen God. We can't just walk up and behold. But, but listen, if we love one another, we'll meet him there. 
we love one another, we'll see him. And he says, when we love one another, his love is perfected in us. Well, what is he talking about? Listen, if you've ever wondered, man, why doesn't God, why is God so quiet? Why, why hasn't he showed up in my life? Why hasn't he intervened? I've been, I've been tempted with sin and I've been trying to battle it. Why hasn't he showed up? Why hasn't he stepped in and intervened for me? Or why hasn't he proved his love for me? And me, all the while, he, he's got people right around you. And that's the way that he wants to display himself to you. So what does that mean? When you step in, when you lean in and, 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 and let yourself be known by other people. Now, let me be clear. They'll jack it up. We will jack it up. We will hurt you. We will hurt one another. Okay, so you need to expect that and know that. But it's worth that cost. It's worth that risk because the presence of God awaits us there in community. He says that when we love one another, when we love one another, that God abides in us. So here's the deal. Next time you think about going to community, whether you're, whether you're just thinking about, man, I don't know if I should get in one or not, or whether I should go or not. The COVID has, and listen, for some, there's, you have legit health concerns and there's a reason you haven't engaged in person. And I get that. I'm not trying to shame you. But what I've also observed is that for some, this whole season of disruption has gotten a lot of people out of the routine. Right? That there's just, frankly, I'm just, eh, it's easier to not go. Listen, you're saying no to the presence of God. And you're like, I don't know, man, you ain't met my group. It's true. They're part of the bride of Christ. And we're all family. And, and man, it says when we love each other, God will abide there. And his love will even be perfected there. That means that you will grow. You will experience increasing measures of God as you lean in and experience community. So when, next time you're thinking about whether you should engage or whether you should show up or not, listen, it's not just about whether you feel like it or whether you think you're getting anything out of it. That makes me gag. Ugh, don't say that mess. I don't really get anything out of it. Mm, stop it, right? Listen, what you're getting out of it is the presence of God, and what you're robbing if you don't show up is somebody else getting some more of the presence of God, right? That it's not just about what you get, it's about what you give just by being there. It's about what you give by, by just showing up for one another. Maybe you don't feel like it, but this is essential. It's essential, and you need to drag yourself to it the way that you would make sure you get some meals. And if you're not getting meals, and you're sick, and you're not getting sustenance, you're going to go to the hospital to get fluids, right? You've got to get that. This should be the way that we crawl and, 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 and just fight to get into group, get into community. If there's tension between you and someone else, man, go to them. Go to them. Be honest. Be honest. Grace abides there. You'll work it out. And if not, we're here to help continue to work it out. But, but I, I guarantee you that you'll, you'll find grace and mercy and love there. So we have to lean in in that way because it is for our good. I want to close with, it, with an illustration that God has gifted us. We, we use trees a lot when we talk about community. And I think last time we talked about redwoods. Today we're going to talk about aspens. I don't know if you know about that aspen tree and how it exists. It doesn't, it doesn't exist as just one singular tree. It exists in groves almost exclusively. It is a tree that grows in groves. And that grove is most of the time a one singular organism. That it, it actually grows and sustains one another as like the root system can sprout up an, another tree. And, and, and what's crazy is that it exists as this one giant organism. I think the, uh, there's a story about a, a pando is one of the, the world's largest organisms. It's this 
grove of aspen trees. And so it's fascinating to think about. It's fascinating to, to, to see the beauty of how God has worked in there. But the beauty is not just that they're interconnected, but it's the way that they care for one another. Because inside of that dynamic root system that is all interconnected to this huge grove, it's not just about getting strength and not falling over. There's a lot of that, right? Aspen trees have been able to um, endure fires and you know, cold stretches and things that would have killed normal trees because this root system exists beneath the surface that, that, that makes them one big unit. And they, what's crazy is that they care for one another, right? That, that a tree that is nearer to a water source is going to pass that. It's not just going to suck it all, all the nutrients right up to itself. It's going to pass some down to the others who are further away. One that is taller, that is going to get more sunlight and the nutrients that it needs from that is going to pass that down and out to the others who are shorter so that they all get what they need, so that they grow together collectively. They're caring for one another. It's this beautiful picture of community. They're called colonies because they all spring up from the same root system and they share the same DNA. And you're looking at these people, you're like, I ain't related to them, right? You're thinking about community, you're like, I ain't related. Well, here's the deal. You become, a, you become one of the, the members of Jesus' family, that we do indeed share blood relation when we enter into Jesus' family. And we, like these aspen trees, not just share that DNA and name, but in action, that we actually love for one another, that those who are struggling, those who are, who are not doing well and not flourishing, the rest of us come and offer our resources to them. We come and come alongside and make sure that we don't leave them behind. We don't just look at them and go, well, suck it up, catch up if you can. No, no, no. We pour into them. We collectively care about our church as a whole, our groups as a whole, and we experience community and love as we are a part of the people and the family of God. And so I want us to, I want us to, to, to just focus in on that very truth. Each week we take communion here at The Journey, and, and I want you to go ahead and get your elements ready, and I, and I want you to be thinking about that very truth that we are a part of the family of God, that we share the same blood, that we're born again, given a new name in Christ, and as a part of that family, we are brought into community so that we may be loved and love others. And listen, wherever you are and whatever you think keeps you from being deserving of that love or keeps you from being known in that way, Jesus says, hey, look at the cross for me real quick. Because that thing that you're struggling with, that thing that you think is ugly about you, that thing that you think nobody could bear, hey, it's at the cross. My body was broken so that you don't have to bear that anymore. So take and eat. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he, he broke the loaves and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And before we drink this, I just want you to Think not just about you as an individual coming before the Lord, and, and this is how you are made right. This is part of what we want to remember every week, that it's not about us doing better, trying harder, and therefore we can come to the table. We come to the table limping, we come to the table struggling, we bring all our junk, but then when we, when we look across the table, when we look at who's come with us, when we look at who's joined us at the table, we're reminded that this community, that this family transcends preferences. It transcends 
age and, and socioeconomic status and race and all of that because the, the table, the feast of Jesus includes people from every tribe, tongue, and race and every level of struggle and every background and story. Jesus says, hey, you're all made one. And, and it's not, we're not here to celebrate ourselves. We're here to look and celebrate Jesus. But as we look across the table, we are bound together by these people who share our common faith, our common hope and salvation in the lamb who was slain. So take a look across the table. Take a look around the room and then take and drink. As the band makes their way up here, I want to encourage you to Receive this and respond. I'm just going to read the passage again. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to hear this as the word of God, because that's what it is. I want you to receive it. And then as we sing this final song, you respond. That means the altar's open. I'll be right up here if you'd like someone to pray with you. There'll be more. People will be glad to pray with you if you just come and Stand up front. If you want to come to the altar, then that's open. But you respond. So hear this is the word of God spoken over you. And then you take a step toward Jesus. And in taking a step toward Jesus, you're actually taking a step toward his family. And vice versa. As you take a step toward his family and his people, you're taking a step toward Jesus. And so let's be obedient and let's receive this word today. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Lord, make this true of us. Help us to receive, embrace, and live out this, our identity as your people. be present in this room, Holy Spirit. Do your work of ministry and may we be responsive. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know Jesus, come meet him today. We'd love to introduce you to him. Confess you're a sinner and you believe you need a Savior and that he is that Savior. The Bible says you'll be born again. You're here. You're not known. Take a step toward being known today. Take a step toward community. Maybe there's tension. Somebody here in the church, you, you got space, move around, go Address that now, even if you want. Let's come to the Lord. Let's sing and receive from Jesus and respond as he leads.